are We Speak, and we are going to travel with activism around the world virtually today. On this journey, we are going to learn more about organizing activism and social justice during a global pandemic that is known as COVID-19. Um, for this week, we are just heading down the road to Kata. Um, My name is Corinne Halgett. This is... I'm Julia Knudsen. And we are here today with Kata and two very lovely ladies, Brittany and Andrea. So we're going to just dive right in. Is that okay? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Um, So hello, my name is Brittany Wadowitz and I'm the assistant director at Kata. Um, So basically in my role, I provide support to programs and program managers through things like program development, um, policy support, um, staff support, um, HR things, all kinds of just supportive roles in shelter um, and outreach and keep me safe, just all of our program areas. So CADA um, is, we provide services, we provide, oh my gosh, We provide safety and support to victims of domestic and sexual violence through advocacy, education, and shelter. Um, And so that looks a lot of different ways. Essentially, we have four program areas that um, really are victim-centered in their approach um, and centered on the experiences of survivors um, in general. So I would say, for example, um, in our well, Andrea will talk about shelter and our community advocacy program, providing legal support to victim survivors in the community, providing education, um, support groups, um, emotional support, anything that someone who is re- residing in one of the communities that CADA serves, um, just providing advocacy and um, information to people who are looking for that. That might be help with an OFP, that might be help with a criminal case, and that might just be talking about what someone's needs for safety are. Um, we also have a parenting time center, which is called Keep Me Safe, and our an offender education program, and a um, prevention and education program as well. That um, We operate in nine counties in southern Minnesota. Um, and we have physical locations as well as people working remotely. Um, I'm Andrea Gilbert. I am the shelter manager and I've been in my role for about two years. Um, My role specifically is to support both our staff and our clients to making sure that um, everyone is receiving the assistance and the help that they need um, that may look very different. I mean, um, there are times where I'm putting out fires. There are times where I'm in the role of primary advocacy. Um, I'm working with making sure that each, both staff and clients like have goals and that they're working towards those goals. Um, So it's very much um, person-centered. So once um, we have accepted a client to shelter, whether it's an individual or a family, um, we are just helping them with whatever it is that they need, right? Whether that's emotional support, legal services, um, referrals to outside agencies, you know, a lot of times it's as simple as applying for health insurance, whereas other times it is a little bit more um, complicated um, because of, of their children and having to do civil, civil uh, uh, court th- procedures. Uh, I mean, like, you name it, we are trying to help with that. 
Um, we also have a full kitchen where um, our cook makes lunch and dinner 24 seven. Um, so we're providing that service. Um, we also do hygiene products and clothes and, and really meeting and everyone's basic needs. Um, so a house, right, in the meantime, while they transition from what, from their original house to the next house, or sometimes it's like chronic homelessness, so meeting those basic needs and um, meeting them where they are at in their situation. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Well, we are definitely very excited to have you both here. Um, prior to COVID, what were some of your goals for the organization and shelter? And what was something you would say was Kata's biggest accomplishment during 2020. Have there been any goals met during COVID, meaning goals that were set prior to COVID that we're able to still follow through with? We changed, um, I think for me, um, I had both personal goals and shelter programming goals. One of the first ones was to develop like a basic, um, well, not basic, a robust procedural book um, that was definitely put on hold until we could figure out all of the COVID related things that came first. Um, so we wanted um, to have like a safe environment for, for both the individuals that we were serving and our staff. So obviously that was like priority and it, everything else had to be put to the side until we could get that, which was, I feel like was one of the biggest accomplishments and like our ability as a leadership team to just like come together and create these all of these practices, right? I mean, and then as time has gone by, those things kind of have subsided. Um, and then, you know, then I was able to work on those, on that protocol book. Other accomplishments have been just like our ability to just bounce back and like work through some like, you know, like we aren't, we weren't used to continuously doing all of our meetings over online or like virtually, right? So we had to just like, adapt to all of the new policies and procedures that were put in place for our safety, you know, like that's also really limiting to some individuals who love that person to person like interaction. So, you know, like I consider that an accomplishment just like as a group being able to adapt to those different needs. We more so needed to be more flexible in how we work with individuals and like departures, for example, right? Like in, you know, like they, they were so separated from their family. So we needed to adapt to that and like be more um, liberating and okay, you're asking for two days off so, or away from shelter so that you could go visit with family. Let's talk about that and, and meet you where you are at. Cause you know, we have policies and procedures for for um, a reason in that we're an emergency shelter. Um, people come and they need services. So if so, we just needed to be a little bit more flexible in what that would look like, knowing that the whole world was pretty limited in their community interactions and their family interactions. So I feel like that was an accomplishment to me, like as a team to be able to say like, okay, we understand these factors let's be a little bit more flexible. If that individual's asking us, coming to us to say, I wanna go visit with my family. Okay, let's talk about that. Let's be safe around it, right? Let's be flexible. That's awesome. Um, yeah, Brittany? <laughs> so we had this like really great plan before COVID hit. Um, it was like an 18 month plan agenda. Um, cause we were, we were looking at a possible budget increase. And so we were looking at this increase and thinking like, where are all of the areas that we could do things differently? Where do we need more staff support? Where do we want to grow? We were thinking about like 
adding to our services. We had all these things that like these dreams that could have came together. Um, so we had this 18 month plan where we first were gonna start with some like internal staff culture building. Um, we did that a lot through Brene Brown's work, um, Dare to Lead. And from there, we were gonna look at like program mission statements and program evaluation and really just like do this deep dive into all of our programming and think about like, and just like dream. Um, so 18 months is really ambitious for that. And then when COVID hit, it just basically like was off the table. Um, so that was a pretty big bummer because we were we were getting ready to dream and now, now that's a little different. Um, however, I would say that our biggest, biggest accomplishment has been um, that once we kind of figured out the like the immediate crisis of it, we did continue to invest heavily, I think, in like our internal workplace culture. Um, and I, I think that's going okay. Like, I think that we have worked really hard at making a place where um, people feel invested in our mission, they feel invested and supported in their work, um, and hopefully a place where um, they can just continue to grow. Um, we were also, like Andrea said, like talking about the protocols, we, it like really reduced our risk for an outbreak. Like we had, it was very hard, I know, for staff to transition, particularly in the shelter from this area where there's a lot of people working together to accomplish this goal. And we had to like minimize the amount of staff that could come in and change the way we're doing services. And I know that's been really challenging. Um, and yet we've, we've had things come up where we've had to like change and do things and respond, but we haven't had that outbreak. And I think like that is really like speaks a lot to the staff. And we've also provided advocacy throughout the entire pandemic, which I think is pretty amazing. So. Right. Yeah. Whether people are in shelter or in hotels, we just, we find ways to continue providing those services. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I think, um, just from like my experience, right. Um, do you guys think that just, I think it's interesting because I feel like we're kind of forced to focus focused on like the little things now that we weren't able to focus on when we were just trying to like run a shelter like maybe there are like not to say that COVID is doesn't suck I mean it does and it's just real shitty but there might be some silver linings like we are learning that you know not all of us are on the same page sometimes and that's okay and it's actually a good thing that we are realizing it but then we're actually able to address it rather than just going on to the next day, you know, because like, I think everybody's in crisis mode and, you know, who's best at crisis mode, a bunch of advocates and we're all just trying to get through it. But yeah, I think you guys made some really good points. Um, yeah. yeah, I would say like what COVID did was expose things that were already there, but was easy to pretend wasn't. So, you know, you think about like how when water gets into a crack and then it freezes and that crack gets bigger like that's how I feel COVID impacted our workplace culture um, and even though it's been I think really challenging um, I'm appreciative because we can't like we can't patch up those cracks unless we know that they're there um, and so I do think that a lot of really good stuff has come from it I would have preferred to do it differently if I could have <laughs> perhaps not a pandemic yeah, it's, it's really hard to work through some of those things when there's like collective trauma happening all at once as well. But, you know, like, I think we're all very, we're all, all mission driven and we all are so engaged in this work that, you know, it's just like, it's, it's a balancing act. 
Mm -hmm. And one thing, um, being an advocate isn't just about the uh, eight hour shift you work. You're constantly doing outside of work, um, character building, person building, um, person identifying. Like you really, you really do have to work on yourself to be good at your job. And so it, you know, it sounds to me kind of like maybe because everybody has their guard down because everybody, you know, we're all experiencing trauma right now with this, right? And not only are we experiencing it, we're kind of trying to help other people through it. So it's like the blind leading the blind in some cases. I think that there are topics that are definitely very sensitive. I think with any family or any organization, you have those things that we're all really good at. And then there are, you know, you have your individual flaws as well. Um, like I said earlier, it's just like a balancing act of like, you know, like touch and go or, or like stop and like analyze. I don't know if that made sense, but that's just like how I feel about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Cause we are facing new, new, new challenges as advocates in a broad, broad way of, um, not having the support we're used to when it comes to our coworkers. Right. Which it's like, makes sense. But with that, yes, comes new challenges. And now because we have, I think because we've gotten so used to technology and the meetings and all that, it creates more of a dialogue, which in return really helps everyone kind of communicate process. And like, to be honest, it just kind of seems like we're learning a lot on how to work together right now because we have to, and that's not a bad thing. Yeah. I mean, I think that what's, I mean, we had planned on doing the culture building work before COVID and I'm just really glad because we were prepared at least to have conversations, maybe not prepared for how they would go. But um, the idea of like, at Kata, we talk a lot about occupational identity and how we often come to this work with our own histories, our own, um, our own tie to advocacy or to the um, domestic and sexual violence movements or whatever we bring with us. It is something that is not set, we can't separate it from ourselves and so often then we bring our whole self to work better or for worse um and and so we call that like our occupational identity and it's really easy then to maybe do more work than you should that's something that I would say like it's really easy for me to just keep working because I feel like I need to work this out before I can move on but and then not take the space that I need or it might be um easy to, for me to take things personally because it's like, well, we're talking about work, but it, because we're so tied to our work, it now feels like you're talking about me as a person um, and just really like separating those things out. Um, I think that's so important because it's very hard to show up for somebody and like really pour into a person when um, we're not doing that for ourselves and not really like paying attention to ourselves and the things that we need and the areas to grow. And Do you think it was even more difficult to um, work on yourself outside of work when you were working from home because of COVID? That's a really good question. I mean, yeah, I think that yes and no. Uh, I mean, Brittany and I have talked about the services, even like therapy, right? And all of the therapy, you know, went to virtual appointments. And, you know, for me, that was like, yay, I don't have to drive. Right. But even for our clients, still they didn't they weren't able to even like make that phone call because there was that barrier um but like yeah I can think of so many things that I have learned during the pandemic because I 
wanted to continue working on myself outside of the organization, outside of my, my nine to five, um, which, you know, when you were in middle management or, you know, an assistant director, like it's never going to be nine to five, obviously. Right. But I, I feel like, yes, I was, this gave me that freedom to continue questioning things and listen to podcasts and read and do, you know, like, I found that to be really liberating. Like, like Julia said, the silver lining, like you still have to look for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I would say it's been hard because I have three kids at home. And so it's like, I have my work day and then my kids and then around like eight thirty or nine is when I can do anything that's outside of work or kids, <laughs> which is usually like fall asleep on the couch. And so I think that like the level of exhaustion of not having like a clear separation um, does make it really hard because like now today I'm home with my kids because it's a snow day, but like my kitchen is just like dishes everywhere. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to go to bed until 10. And it's hard then to focus on work because it's like I have my home stresses that are so present. Um, so that's like when I can work out of the office, I opt working out of the office all the time because I need that separation to be like, this is what I'm doing here. When I'm home, I'm doing this. And then of course there's always crossover, but I like to minimize it if I can. You know, a lot of us, it's like we would rather be in that office. I mean, that's why we fought, we fought so much for women to get out into the workforce, right? Because we, we like that separation. We, you know, like that's where we feel more fulfilled. Um, so yeah, it was that balancing act of like, yeah, I want to be with my kid or I want to be at home, but no, I, I want to be in the office too. I want that separation. So yeah, I want to do both well. And when I'm doing both at the same time, I do neither of them well. So it's, yeah, that's not very satisfying. That's so interesting that you guys bring that up. The kind of how this, you know, can go back to the whole, like, the very basic concept of gender roles mm -hmm. in the family. Like, because yeah, I'm home, I feel so much more expectation to do household chores. I can't remember where I read this statistic. If I can, I'll, I'll try to I'll try to put it in here somewhere. But it's it's most most people who lost their jobs are women. Um, and then most people who work, work remote are also women. And so then it's a whole new list of expectations because you don't have that freedom to go to the office and come home and say, we both worked hard because housework isn't really um, considered work, you know? And so as women, like, yeah, I think that's a whole obstacle in itself. Wow, that's a really good point. Thank you guys for bringing that up. So I feel like I, I've heard this over and over and over again that, that domestic violence rate rates have increased due to COVID. Do you guys find that to be true? I think the comp it's become more complex. Oh, yeah. You know, I think that overall there was abuse at home, there was domestic violence, there was sexual violence, right? All of those things are true. I think that it became more complex and people's ability to communicate with their outside world outside of that abuse became more diminished. Yeah, I do think that like our numbers, I don't know that they're totally um, showing an increase. I would say like the number of clients is about the same, but the number of services provided is increased. I think also what we notice, like there are 
when different shutdowns have happened, we do notice like and when the initial shutdown happened last March, it was quiet for a little bit and then it kind of picked up. And then once everything opened up, it picked up more. So it was like, it was like clusters of help seeking was happening kind of around what was happening in the world outside. But it wasn't necessarily like year over year, the numbers were more or less the same. So one of the things that we did is we shifted the money that we use for direct client assistance. And so like, we used to use the money that we get from the state for direct client assistance, but that comes with a lot of strings attached. And so um, we changed it so that we could reduce the amount of barriers to accessing those funds. Um, so now it comes more of like our general operating funds and we get to kind of decide how that looks. And so we've been able to then like provide um, increased amounts for like housing. And so before we could only provide a certain amount of money for housing, but now we can like pay the entire first month's rent for somebody or, um, we can just kind of respond right away without having to jump through as many hoops. We still have our, like, you know, some of our reporting thing that we have to do, but you know, we've been able to just respond to things that maybe aren't directly tied to someone's experience of violence in the home, but is tied to their ability to remain in the home and stay safe for violence. You know what I mean? So just being able to broaden our definitions that way. Um, also providing a lot of services over the phone um, and doing like restraining orders over the phone instead of in person. Um, and changing the way we operate that way, I think has just changed the way that people interact with advocates. I just think advocates are providing a lot more like broad levels of support. Before people would be like, I'm talking to my CADA advocate about the domestic violence I experienced. And now it's like my CADA advocate. It's not that we have never done this. It's just that people are seeing us differently. And so now my advocate can help me with my housing and help me with my basic needs and help me with all of these things. And it, that's across the board. It's not only the clients in shelter. Yeah, I think we all had to broaden our um, our idea of what an advocate did. Um, and I think that that's a ba also an, a balanced act. Like it ebbs and flows. Sometimes we, you know, we stick to like this is our role as advocates. And other times we have to um, expand what that mission advocacy looks like. The only thing that I would want to add that we did was um, implemented a text line and like kind of changed our technology to be able to meet with clients because we were really concerned about um, increased rates of domestic violence happening in our communities and people not being able to reach out. So I think that would be the thing that I would really like want people to know is that we do have different ways of reaching CADA services if you need it. So are you hoping then that these services that you are now providing continue after COVID? Like you mentioned, like the more telephone based um, with your clients and then that role of an advocate that shifted, are you hoping that continues? I mean, I would hope so. I think that we will just be able to respond to where people are at. And so I can think, you know, someone who would maybe come into the office and have a couple kiddos with them, filling out a restraining order with a bunch of kids in a small office is really challenging for anybody. Um, being able to work with that um, parent while they're at home, you know, and the kids are in their own space and then they can be away from the kids and the kids don't have to hear the parent talking about the experiences of violence and all like the, just even something simple like that. I think, I don't think it ever really just like crossed our mind because it was just like, this is just how we do things. You'd come into the office, you know, you need to go to the doctor, you go into the doctor's office. You, we just physically go places and now we just, we don't have to do that that way. Mm -hmm. Andrea? Do, will our services change? I mean, I think that they have changed and they have evolved to be more trauma-informed person-centered. Um, so I do, 
I do anticipate that we will continue to look at that specifically for me, um, looking at things from a racial um, lens, right? Um, in that there, like I said earlier, you know, like there's just so much general trauma and it's complex trauma, not just because of um, COVID, but other things that have happened in our communities. Um, so like being able to analyze and look just beyond Mankato and the you know, nine counties that we serve, um, you know, like looking at what is happening throughout the whole state and how that is gonna impact victims, I always consider that. Um, or like even outside of Minnesota, because there are individuals that come outside of Minnesota to come to Canada because they have heard good things of, through their friends or their family, right? Like come to Canada, they will help you with, you know, you've been homeless for four years. They'll be able to help you with that because they're patient through the process. So like knowing what people want is really important for me. Do you guys um, feel that <laughs> we'll ever go, there will ever be a normal to go back to after this? I do think that there was so many doors opened, um, especially like in accessibility. You know, we had to make sure that everything we offered was somehow talked about. And like, we had to like, how do you spread the word without doing what we normally do? Because I know that we used to do like tabling things. We used to do events. We used to do fundraise, all of that. That was raising awareness. And then also the service providing, people think that if they have a symptom of covid we won't help them. And that's not true. We will help someone who even has COVID, but it just looks different. And so the how has COVID changed the nature of Kata's activism? I think like as a nonprofit, we're really limited in the kind of activism that we can do. You know, it's not like the traditional sense of like, for example, um, after George Floyd's murder, we did put out a statement talking about how we um, don't think that that kind of violence in our community is okay. And we don't support law enforcement's efforts to do that. Um, it is also true, however, that we work with law enforcement for victim survivors. And so um, we want to be clear that that kind of violence um, against marginalized communities is not okay. And it's not okay with us at CADA and it's not okay for the people in our communities um, and also we want to work to find ways to bridge gaps with law enforcement and not create bigger gaps. Approaching things with like this perspective of like a both and, um, and saying that in, as individuals, we might all feel lots of different ways about that specifically, but as an organization, we want to say like, we want to be a bridge in the gap in how we approach activism in the community. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's a really good example. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, um, I just want to say one more thing about that. Yeah. Um, I think it's also really important to say that um, there is definitely a role for people in the community to say like, this is just not okay and stand there and and stick with it. And I, we, CADA, I think supports people and groups and organizations in doing that. I think that what I don't want it to sound is like we are minimizing the harm done to communities and that we're somehow just like not acknowledging it. Nonprofits will only take us so far in making community level change. Really change comes from communities and individuals and um, people doing social justice work that way. So how has CADA or how has COVID then impacted all of that? Um, I really think that CADA has changed its communication strategies. Um, we have an external newsletter as well as an internal newsletter to try to share information amongst a broad um, variety of individuals. We also um, 
our prevention program has changed quite a bit. Um, Pre-COVID, it was about to launch into um, workplace harassment and providing education to different businesses and groups about um, sexual harassment and discrimination within the workplace and really like consulting on, on that issue specifically. COVID made that really hard because nobody was doing any kind of extra work in the workplace anymore. I mean, we we're all trying to like figure it out um, like the next day and not really like investing in that kind of workplace support. Um, and so one of the changes that we made at that point was really trying to invest differently in our community. And so really looking at the community groups that we can be involved in so that we can approach prevention of violence from this level in the community that says that all of these types of violence are connected. Um, and while Kata is really good at domestic and sexual violence advocacy work, so that was, I think, probably the biggest change I think that has happened in Kata's activism since COVID when COVID hit. How did it affect the funding for CADA? So I can say funding wise, a couple of different things have happened. I mean, like most of CADA's funding comes from federal and state agencies. I would say about 80% of it. And so um, we, you know, prior to COVID, we were kind of looking at a potential increase and now we're looking at our budget staying flat in that way for at least two years. And because there's just so much COVID relief happening, I think that if we look like really down the future, like in the next five to 10 years, I, I wonder that if this kind of work will be impacted because of the, the state and local, all the budgets and all that stuff. There have been a lot of COVID related grant applications that have come out. We have applied and received for several of those um, to go towards like direct client assistance or towards PPE or um, making our services online. Some of them have come with a lot of strings. And so there were a couple that came out like last fall where the application came out like in the beginning of November. And then the funds were gonna like this big chunk of funds were gonna be released and then needed to be spent by the end of December. It's a lot of pressure to actually have money that needs to be spent in such a quick turnaround. And we already are kind of just at capacity. People are super busy. And so we were very mindful of not adding things on that would make us have to seek out and do more of what we're already doing. We really just wanted to um, fund things that wouldn't necessarily change the nature of our work. Also, we had like a major increase in individual donors this past year. Um, our annual appeal brought in like 20,000 extra dollars from individual. Like normally we get like 30 to 35. So this year we got 55,000, which is pretty amazing talking about like the, the investment that our community has in the work that we're doing. That was really cool to see. Andrew, what's your take on funding and state and, and support from the state government? I, I mean, I would love the kind of funding that we have received to continue happening as we move forward. Our ability to help people um, gain safe housing, right, by paying for either a deposit or for our first month's rent. Like, so we were able to like see like human resources, you know, the county will provide some form of support. And then with our additional support and like other agencies, like we're able to puzzle together resources so that people can get housing. And I love that. And I want that to continue to happen. I don't just want it to be a, a COVID response. That is why we become so limited. Um, and I don't want that to happen. So like my activism would look like, let's continue doing that, right? Like, let's not just have it be a COVID response because as we know, homelessness is a human need. And I mean, homelessness is something that is happening so frequently and that there's no actual response for it. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting in ways how COVID airing out the dirty laundry that we have, right? Like homelessness has always been an issue and will always be an issue. It's not just an issue during COVID. Are more people affected by it? Absolutely. We are providing right now the services that people need to gain housing and mm-hmm. that should never stop. Right. And it took so long for it to happen. It took, a, yeah, a global pandemic and I hope it continues. Yeah. Well, do you, you guys have any last words you would like to say? Any information you'd like to give out? Any um, message to our listeners, our fan base, the community, anything like that? Yeah. I think for me is uh, knowing that um, your audience is, you know, individuals who are still in college or that, you know, they're trying to gain professional experience is that, you know, like always be looking for opportunities um, to be part of our agency, um, whether it's advocacy or other roles, right? We have other programs that are not necessarily advocacy based, uh, but that definitely help our community in other ways. Um, So, yeah, if folks are interested, please keep an eye out for opportunities. I don't think I have anything to add. I think Andrea summed it up very well. Okay, well, thank you guys so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day, and I will see you, Andrea, at five. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, guys. See you. See you, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And we will see you next week when we interview Student United in our third episode. 